Gracious God, you are an incredible God. And the way you work, the way you lead, sometimes, uh, quite honestly, doesn't make sense to us. But God, we know that you are sovereign and that you have purpose and that you have plan and that we can rest in the knowledge of uh, your desires. And uh, God, we would pray that as uh, Jeff heads away at the end of January to take up a new challenge, that you'll bless him. And, uh, but we pray too, Lord, that you'll send someone to replace him, someone that can really bless this congregation and bless you as they lead in worship. In that light, Lord, we pray for the, our search committee that's functioning, uh, committee of session under their, their guidance. And we pray that as they uh, are well engaged in that search, that you would bless them, that you would be with them. Every time they meet, that you would speak into the minds and the hearts of Uh, of those people as they discern your will. And Lord, whoever that candidate is that will come, we would ask that you would uh, clearly lead them also. So God, we ask for great blessing in this church as transition happens. We pray that uh, you will give this congregation a deep faith in your care for this church and the promise that you will never leave or forsake, the promise that you will lead us forward in Christ. So, Lord, we we commit this to you. Ask for it. Lord, we would pray for unity. Lord, we look at our culture, and this is a difficult time um, when there is great division in our culture, differences of opinion that are held sometimes very strongly. Uh, But, Lord, we pray that you would move and that you bring healing to to our land, change, um, unity to our country. Give our leaders wisdom, Lord. And allow them to know how to lead and, and, and to bless Canada and this province. God, we pray for our own church. Uh, as differences of opinion exist among us, as we are uh, in a difficult time, granted, in, in a circumstance that none of us really celebrates. God, we pray that you would uh, unite your people and keep them united. Uh, that love would predominate here. Love for one another. Even though we might not agree with each other in any particular issue, Lord. Help us to love each other and to be good to each other, be patient with one another. And Lord, uh, out of that love will come unity. And Lord, help us to trust you in the midst of, of COVID and all the regulations and limitations that we are living with. God, help us to trust that you are in the midst of this and that you have purpose. You will lead us beyond COVID, Lord, and actually bring good from it. So Lord, we ask for that good. Whatever it is you're working in us as individuals, in us as a church, in us as a, as a country, um, accomplish your purposes through what we're living with right now. And show us, Lord, your way. Show us your heart that we might share it with one another. Show us your love that we might love one another, God. Keep us united to you and to each other in this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, we are going to jump in now to the fifth of five sermons in the Not a Fan series, and I'm told uh, that things are going well in your life groups as you study these things in your homes and some of you here. Um, What I want to uh, uh, really do to begin today is just to do a bit of a recap and let you know that that the great desire, certainly my desire... (laughs) But, but the desire is that God is using this series in your life to help you identify whether you're a fan or whether you're a follower of Jesus. We began by talking about, about whether we are in the stands. Remember I talked about a football game and there are fans who fill the stadium normally? <clears throat> maybe are again now. I, I, I think maybe that's the case. 
But you're cheering on the guys on the field or the women on the field. You're, you're cheering on those who are caught up in the game. Um, but you're not in the game, right? That's a fan. It's the people on, in, uh, on the field that are taking the bumps and the bruises and the, making the sacrifices and doing the work uh, that are in the game. And, and, and a follower's in the game. And we talked, of course, about the church and its ministry, about sharing Christ in his world, loving other people in his name and so on. You know, fan or follower. Then we came to James's sermon that I know many of you really appreciated, and that was about anyone can come, but if you come, you've got to bring everything. Remember that? What a, what a statement that was. That, that um, you know, in coming to Jesus, we can't hold anything back. We've got to give him all of ourselves, all of our lives, all, all the different dimensions of our lives, submitted to him in love and in faith. Then we talked the next one about knowing God in terms of facts and figures and details, information. Fan versus knowing God personally and intimately. And you're asked, which, which of these might characterize you? Then last week we talked about comfortable Christianity. Christianity serves your purposes, makes life comfortable to you, as opposed to pick up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus said. As opposed to being willing to sacrifice, even suffer for Jesus, to do God's will. That's a powerful question, I know. It's a significant thing. But you see, a fan is, lives that comfortable Christianity. A follower is willing to step in and, and uh, pick up their cross, no matter what it takes, so that God would be honored, his will done. Well, today we look at a, another fan-follower dichotomy. And uh, it's a, it comes from a significant story in John 8 that's historically called the woman caught in adultery. Now, it's called that because she was. It's a bit graphic, but she was literally caught in in the act of adultery by the religious leaders, Pharisees and otherwise. And they bring her before Jesus and they stand her in the midst, it says, in the middle of them. Uh, this would have been com- completely humiliating for her. It would have been um, an experience for her that would have been an awful, awful thing. And essentially she is being used by the religious leaders to try to trap Jesus into doing or saying something which would incriminate him. They're not caring about this woman at all. <laughs> They're, all, they're just about wanting to, uh, to, to, to harm Jesus and to d- d- diminish his ministry and so forth. So I'm going to read this story to you. John chapter 8, and it's verses, uh, verses uh, 2 to 11. So let me start reading in verse 2. At dawn he appeared again, Jesus in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees Brought a woman in, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, "Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, of, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say?" They were using this question to, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now listen, to any person, from any perspective, I think 
there's got to be a recognition that this is at least unsavory, what they're doing, if not appalling. Where I would fall. It's, it's a t- terrible sort of scenario that they create with this woman. And as Jesus points out, you know, those, the one who is without sin cast the first stone. What he's doing is saying that we all sin. Every single one of us. Even you Pharisees and, and teachers of the law. You do too. Some sin more privately than others, as is the case here. This woman's sin is very public. And sometimes people's sin is very public in our own context. But very often it's very private, as was the case with the Pharisees. Incredible pride here, right? What they're doing to this woman is wrong. But, you know, it takes them a while to, to recognize that. But th- this question focuses, this discussion focuses on the question, if you would, about the law and what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus, the law says stoner. What do you say? What about this law? Now, Jesus <clears throat> considers the law of God to be good and important. <clears throat> we discussed this in the, our holiness series. Um, Jesus references the law of Moses often, his scripture, what he had at that time, and abides by it in every detail. It is good. It's, it's our way of, of becoming more holy in our lives. We've talked about that, a way of honoring a holy God who has spoken these laws into our lives through scripture. But my friends, when we overemphasize the following of rules, and put ourselves in that place which leads others to think that somehow we've got it all together and that we're kind of perfect as opposed to them and their sin, as is the case here, there's something really off, can I say at a minimum, in our lives as Christians. There's something we're missing, and it's dramatic, and it's illustrated in this, in this text, isn't it? See, sometimes Christians are more like the religious leaders and the Pharisees than they are like Jesus. Would you agree with me on that? Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it's unintentional very often. I think it's unconscious. I don't think people really think a whole lot about it. It's just there. It's part of their perspective, their view of life. You know, they want to keep the standard high, and they think that this is the way to honor God. But I want to tell you, it's very hard for people to come to see Jesus in us if we're acting like the Pharisees. And it's really, really hard for us to really understand Jesus' heart when we are as they are. It's, it's, it's a blockage, if you would. It, it's something that, that keeps us from really entering in um, and knowing Christ and what it means to follow him. Listen, I grew up with a lot of rules in my, lives, uh, in my life, a lot of them. A lot of them weren't from the Bible. And again, the Pharisees, they had, I think it was 613 rules. Half of them were from the Bible, the Old Testament. Half of them they made up on their own because they thought it was necessary, a reflection of or an application of the Old Testament. And I grew up with a lot of rules that weren't from the Bible. I, on a Sunday, as a small child, and this changed over time, but I couldn't ride my bike on a Sunday afternoon. I couldn't uh, water ski. I could swim, but I couldn't water ski at the cottage, right? That somehow uh, made sense somehow. I couldn't go to movies. I was worldly. Right? Anybody relating to this? You know, you'd probably have to be over 40 or something to get it. Um, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't dance, oh my goodness, you know, that's not a, not a good thing. I still can't dance, so I don't do it, but not because I'm morally opposed to it. It's, it's not a pretty sight. I couldn't smoke. I couldn't, I couldn't drink. You know, I began to grow up and really think for myself and study scripture, and I thought, but didn't David dance before the Lord? 
It's not the activity, it's what you're doing it for. You can either worship God or you can do other things. You have a different reason in your heart. One of them's wrong, one of them's really beautiful and right. And didn't Jesus turn water into wine? I'm going, mm, I gotta think about this. <laughs> and and of course a new a new reality kind of unfolded for me. But you see, the problem is when we present Christianity in this way. Um, certainly to non-believing people, as if, as if Christianity is all about obeying rules, biblical or not. Um, a lot of people are going to walk away from Christianity. And quite strikingly, I think, is the thought that a lot of our children, if we present Christianity to them as rule-keeping, they will walk away from Christianity. Many, many have. And the other problem, of course, is that we don't ever really get it. We don't figure out what Christianity is at its heart, what it truly is to be like Jesus and to follow him. Let's go back to this poor woman. She has been caught in her sin. She's been condemned. She has been shamed and humiliated. And Jesus says something absolutely remarkable to him, to her. He says this. If anyone, uh, to the Pharisees, sorry, if anyone is without sin, let him be the first to cast the first stone. And they all leave. First the older folks, down to the youngest. They, they capture the word of God. Somehow they begin to realize, you know what, I'm, no, I'm a sinner too. And who am I to condemn this woman? That's what it came to. And the older ones walked away, and the, and the, the younger ones walked away. In the end, it was just Jesus. And he said to the woman, uh, is there anybody left to condemn you? I think about it. She could have answered, uh, maybe. You, Jesus, are here, and maybe. You will condemn me for what I have done. But she says, no, there's no one here. They've all gone. And then Jesus says something brilliant. He <laughs> says, neither, neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. See, Jesus doesn't downplay the wrongness of adultery. He doesn't say it's okay. He doesn't dismiss this as if it's no big deal. As a matter of fact, the, the brilliance of what he does is, is, is affirm the law. But in that context, he makes a statement, and it is this, that grace and forgiveness and love are at the heart of what it means to follow after me. Grace and forgiveness and love are the focus of those who live in my kingdom, not sin and not even the law. See, a lot of us uh, don't listen very well to God. Do you realize that? Sometimes I don't. I'm sure sometimes you don't either. We read the Bible and we see the rules, the regulations, as good as they are, and we start to focus in on sin, and we end up living, you know, either by that kind of judgment which produces guilt and fear and sometimes humiliation, as was the case with the woman, or sometimes we turn that around and we judge ourselves really harshly because we think that's the thing to do because we've sinned and we end up living with guilt and fear and shame and humiliation. Maybe even afraid that Jesus will condemn us too. And such people, such folks, live with burden in their lives, always trying to prove themselves to God, always trying to act in such a fashion and move beyond sin that they gain the approval of God. 
to such people that Jesus said, come to me, Matthew 11, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, right? Weary and burdened because of the law and the focus on the law and <laughs> the focus on their sin. Tired of it. Worn out. He said, come to me and, you know what? Say it. Rest. My burden is easy and my low, my yoke is, my yoke is, Easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is, Jesus is coming at this from an incredibly different perspective. And I want to tell you, my friends, when we come to that place, when, 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 when rules are the focus and, and, and where obedience, even to the law of God, becomes the prominent thing and we get focused in on the sin of other people, certainly, and even on our own sin, and there's something that's terribly off in terms of following Jesus. See, where Jesus calls us to, what Jesus invites us to, what Jesus lived in that story is, is the reality upon, the focus upon grace and forgiveness and love. He honored this woman. You know, he showed her the grace of God in abundance. then he called her to obedience and faithfulness. See, I want to say this morning, my friends, when the focus is on sin and rules, which end up in condemnation of others or self, that's, that's being a fan. I want to put this to you, and I want, you, I want it to be striking, okay? We are either like the Pharisees in the story or we're like Jesus. Here's my observation. A lot of Christians live like Pharisees. I'm not saying that of you, but I would like, honestly, with grace, for you to sit back and look at what's going on in your heart and your experience of faith. You know, a great illustration of this is marriage. You know, in the Bible, marriage is held up consistently as an example of our relationship with God. You know that? All through the Bible. It's actually one of the primary purposes of marriage. And, and when people stand before God to be married, they don't agree to the rules. You will never hear, at least in the marriage I perform, <laughs> maybe it is somewhere, I suppose, but in, a, in any biblical marriage, you will never hear a, a, a future husband and wife vowing to themselves, I will take out the garbage and I will empty the dishwasher and I will wash the toilet and I will never forget your anniversary, our anniversary. You're just not going to hear it. Because we don't vow to obey the rules. What we vow is to love a person for a lifetime. And out of that love to be faithful to them because you love them, you act. You do. And better or worse, sickness and, sickness and health and so on. Being poor and being wealthy. No matter what comes, I will love you. That's the vow, ultimately. And secondly, to be faithful. And here's the deal. Here, you know this. It's because of that love that the dishwasher gets emptied so that he or she doesn't have to do it. You, you take out the garbage. You might clean the toilet so that he or she doesn't have to do it. You remember the anniversary, right, guys? <laughs> because it's important to her. She'll never forget, by the way. Just Guys, if, if you're just newly married, or you're, she'll never forget. And out of love, we hold on to that. And we act. You see, the basic, 
the basic concept here is relationship is central in marriage and relationship is central in God. We come to that place where we engage relationship with Jesus, where we experience his grace, where we experience his forgiveness, where we experience his love just like that woman, (laughs) where we experience God in that kind of profound, divine way that's so uh, unhuman. Can I put it that way? People don't treat us this way very often. But we experience God's love and his grace and his forgiveness, not only when we come to faith, but every single day of our lives. I want to tell you, something changes. And we have this relationship with God which frees us from the rules and inspires us to love God and other people. It's the relationship, it's the love that produces the obedience. It's not hard when we're really in touch with who we are. (laughs) It can be because we have the flesh to deal with and we have the temptation of the devil and so I get that. But when we're really in touch with our love for God and, and that motivates us, the, the burden is uh, easy and the load is light. Matthew 11. It is. Because it's what we want to do. I love this quote from Augustine. Augustine was a 6th century theologian, brilliant, brilliant man who is still being quoted today, which is remarkable in itself, right? But it, uh, I'm going to have it put on the screen for you. It says He said this, Who can be good if not made so by loving? Love God and do what you please. Now, Some fans from today's context will say, that's not right, you can't love God and do whatever you want. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, that's exactly the way it works. And the whole question is, who are you? What have you encountered of God? Have you been that woman before Jesus, having received his love and his grace in a way that just blows you away so that you fall in love with him? And your heart's greatest desire is to love him back in obedience, to honor him through taking his word and living it out? It's what you want. See, my friends, when you love God like that, my goodness, it's who you are. And you see, what's at the focus is not rules and regulations and sin of other people or self. What's at the focus is God, who's been incredibly good to me. He's loved me. He's died for me on the cross. He has forgiven my sin. He has shown me grace, even by the fact that he's opened my eyes to believe. And he shows me grace every single day of my life, because you know what? I keep on sinning. It's there. It's not, not the focus. You deal with it, you confess it, you move on back into fellowship with Jesus. You know, in, in our holiness series, where I tried to bring some balance to these things, I quoted to you Ezekiel 36, 26. And I want to read to you Ezekiel 11, 19, and 20, which says this. You know, I don't know if you study Ezekiel, but if you don't, put it on the list, right? Put it on your bucket list. It's great. So much of the Old Testament is fabulous. God's saying, I'll bring my people back. I will give them an undivided heart. Undivided. One desire. And put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. You see that last verse? See how critical that is? They will be my people and I will be their God. What's being talked about? Talk about relationship, love, covenant, commitment, connection to God and God to people. 
listen to me. It's highly likely that there are fans listening to me uh, today and online. Highly, highly, highly likely. Because to be a fan is the, in this way is the most human thing in the world. This is how we treat each other. This is how humans are born. And those of you who are identifying at least in this way fandom, <laughs> or at least a, an inclination toward being a fan, there's the opportunity to take a step into following Jesus. Being like him. See, that's the point here today. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to follow in his likeness. We have to do what he did, as what he did with this woman is illustrated for us today. Um, to understand that grace and forgiveness so much so that our hearts warm toward God, so much so that it fills us with love for Jesus. And we live out of that reality. I'm going to say this in, in relationship to, to non-believers, because I think it, it certainly needs, the point needs made again, and I don't want to focus on this, because I'm speaking to we who are seeking to follow after Christ, but we can never expect anyone to come to believe in Jesus by uh, accepting a set of rules which they will never accept until they fall in love with Jesus. You see that? You can't say, well, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus and be pharisaical. Who's going to want it? I wouldn't. Your kids won't. Your neighbors won't. If we act like the Pharisees, if we live like the Pharisees, if we think like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, people will look at our lives and run away from Jesus. What those people need to do who aren't followers of Jesus need to see people who are like him. Blown away by their grace, by their love, not focused on their sin. God can take care of that. God will take care of that if they come to know and love Jesus. He will. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's what he does. So today my question for you is really quite simple. It, it is quite simple. What's your focus in faith? What's your focus? Um, where does your mind go as far as these things are concerned? Um, I, wa I want to ask you, in the last 24 hours, have you been critical of people? In our society, we kind of call the pharisaical approach uh, the, uh, the reality of having a critical spirit. Quick to look and see the faults of others and condemn. To, you know, just literally... Uh, being very ready, very uh, aware of other people's sins, very ready to point out their sins and their failings. Now, in the last 24 hours, honestly, has that re repeated itself? Because this isn't occasional in the life of a fan. It happens a lot. You know, back up a step. In the, since you got up this morning, has there been a critical spirit at work in you? It's a great way to kind of identify self in this, in this, in this way. Is, is there a, a, a focus on sin, whether it be in other people or in your own life? Is this normal for you? Listen to me, just very simply. We are not supposed to be like these Pharisees who do that. It's just not Jesus-like. You see the, the, the stark difference between the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the way they treated this woman and, and Jesus. His heart for her, the way he treated her. 
And if we're not supposed to be like the Pharisees, can I say that we are supposed to be like the woman? In the sense of she became pretty aware of her own sin. We're supposed to be aware of it and deal with it. Not somebody else's, by the way. Jesus said, you might remember from in the mount, take the log out of your own eye so you can see the speck and, and help that person. Jesus saying, be aware and deal with this. Don't worry about other people. You've got enough to deal with right here. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't need to go running around condemning people if I, if I want to see sin and be critical of it. I can do it here. But Jesus is just saying, you know, in grace and in the loving relationship that you have, deal with the log. Then you'll be in a position to really love people because you're not going to be judging them much. So yeah, we're supposed to be like the women. And, and even with hidden sin... Christians live with hidden sin more, uh, church-going Christians, but they often live with hidden sin a lot more than public sin, right? What is it, what, what is it there, and, and how can you go to God with it and find forgiveness and grace? Just do that. But in the end, and most importantly, we are to be like Jesus. Like, gracious and loving, not fault-finding, not critical of folks over and over again, not, not wired that way in terms of how we think but to love and honor people so that they will be enabled to see Jesus in us and learn to love him. Wouldn't that be cool? You see, the transformation that Ezekiel describes in various places is a transformation that God works in his people. And it's God's heart's desire. I can say that so clearly because this is so much of the heart of Jesus. It's God's heart's desire that our hearts be transformed, a heart of stone taken away and a heart of flesh put in there so that we will follow after. We will. Not because we have to, but because we want to. It's our heart's desire. And I want to suggest today to anyone who might see themselves as a, as a fan see themselves as the Pharisee, see themselves as focusing on sin and critical of others, thinking that's what Christianity somehow is about. I want to tell you today, God can change your heart. It's only God who can do it. That's the miracle of salvation, right? That's the miracle, the power of God entering into life and transforming. What we have to do simply is come before Jesus. And we have to just admit the fact that sin is there. Maybe a critical spirit. His tendency to be focused on sin and condemnation. And ask the Spirit of God just to come. Give me that heart, God. Give me that heart that isn't a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. Help me to see your grace as I've never seen it before. Help me to receive your forgiveness. Help me to know your love. See, such people transition from being fans to being followers. Such people transition from being like the Pharisees to being like Jesus. Right? And I want to tell you, my friends, it, it changes a life. And it changes the life of a Christian person so that they really move toward being what Jesus called them to be. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a minute or two with God. Um, in the silence of, of us being together here today. And if you would like to do that, I, I would encourage you, if, if there's 
even a thread of this in you? Can you confess it is wrong? And ask Jesus to forgive it and receive that forgiveness? Can you ask him to open your, your eyes to see him and his heart for you of love and of grace like you've never seen it before? Can you ask him to change your heart? Yes, you can. And it might not happen on in an instant, but if you're sincere in that, that's a prayer Jesus will answer because it is his will for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you, each of us in our own way right now. And we pray that you will be at work in us, transforming us, changing us to be like you. Lord Jesus, we need you so much. Because this faith of ours is not dependent on us and what we can or can't do. It's literally dependent on you and what you do in us. And we thank you that you work and that you're willing to work, that you have and that you're going to by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you've heard the prayers of your people today. You know the longing of their hearts. Lord, you know where change needs to take place. And we pray that you will bring that change so that, Lord, we would be a people um, without a critical spirit toward one another, without condemnation. But, the Lord, we, we, we would be a people who are characterized by love. love of you and love of one another. So Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would be at work in us, each one of us, in our own way. Lead us away from being a Pharisee. Focus on sin, guilt, condemnation. Get away from it, Lord. Help us to minimize it in the sense that we become people who focus on the love of God in Christ the grace that we've received in him, the forgiveness that we know. Lord, we open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you, our lives to you. And we simply say, come. Come, Holy Spirit of God. And bring the change in us that we desperately need. This we ask in Jesus' name.